Elizabeth Chapel, a lifelong entrepreneur who finally found my niche. After years of new ideas and jumping from business to business, I figured out how to turn a craft into a successful career. In 2016, I started a monthly subscription box for quilters. That little startup has grown into a thriving, multiple six-figure business that I am so proud of. As a published author, designer of fabrics and patterns being sold throughout the world, my favorite thing to do is to teach others how to grow a career of their dreams. Each week you'll hear from me or from other guests who are creative entrepreneurs, so you can learn exactly what to do and what not to do to grow a career that's more rewarding and successful than you ever thought possible. If you're ready to turn your craft into a career that you love, I am so excited you're here. Welcome to the Craft to Career podcast. Gloria, I'm so excited to have you here. We have Gloria Chow, and she is a small business PR rep, I guess, helper. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. And my name is Gloria Chow. I'm an award-winning small business PR coach. I say coach because I am really an advocate for small businesses, mainly female founders in the handmade and product space. And I've never worked a day in my life at a PR agency. So it's really about helping founders advocate for themselves and doing PR in a way that's truly accessible for all of us, for the rest of us. I'm so excited that you just said you work with people who are, they make handmade products. How did you get into this niche? You know, it's so funny. I, so if you want the whole story is I never worked a day in my life in PR or marketing, but I was always that hype woman. Like I always loved recommending products and I love to see people win. And, you know, I used to be a U.S. diplomat. So I had no connection to PR whatsoever. And I always knew I wanted to work in PR, but no PR agency would hire me because I didn't have that cookie cutter, you know, fit in the box experience. And so I said, screw this. I'm just going to do it myself. And through cold calling, I kid you not, the operator literally Googling broken numbers and dialing the operator and perfecting my pitch thousands of times after thousands of rejections, I kind of cracked the code on PR and how to master the art of the cold pitch so that anyone can get featured. And now we have thousands of founders getting featured in New York Times and Vogue and Elle, Apartment Therapy, and none of them have any PR contacts. And it's really about knowing that like, you don't need to give your power away to someone else, as long as you know how to properly write a pitch and you know who to send it to and you create a system around that, then there's no limit to the amount of features that you can get, which to be honest, it's much better than social media or ads, especially with what's going on with like the algorithms and stuff. So I always, I always try to challenge the status quo in terms of how PR is done, but also how we think about our times as CEOs, as, as, as creators, right? I'd rather do something that creates long-term assets for my business, something that's searchable, something that has SEO, something that has credibility, like getting on a podcast or getting on a magazine, then spend 10 hours on social media to an audience that maybe might not even see your stuff. I couldn't agree more. I love this. I, I call it scrappy. I don't know what the term is exactly, but the fact that you're like, I want this job, but I'm not, no, no one's opening the door for me. So forget that. I'm going to do this myself. Like I, that is, I feel like the signature of an entrepreneur who is successful where they're just like, no, I'm taking matters into my own hands. I'm going to make this happen. Tell me more about this calling the operator. First of all, I love that skill. I used to have a job where I would call people to take surveys and I learned real quick how to like get them on the phone and get them to, to stay on the phone and talk with me. 
What did that look like for you? What exactly were you doing when you called these numbers? Ooh, this is something that they should teach in every like public school, I think. This ability to sell and this ability to persevere. So I totally agree with you on that. So what it looked like was this. I, I couldn't get any big clients, right? I wasn't working at a PR agency. And a friend of mine who was taking a sabbatical from uh, from being a diplomat, we were diplomats together. He's like, you know, our really tiny startup, it's just me and the founders. Sure, we could use some PR if you think you can get us on CNBC or the Wall Street Journal. And I had no clue like what I was doing. They were doing some AI compliance banking fintech thing. I did not study banking fintech or AI. And so I basically just like sat with the engineers and all day looking at data, looking at spreadsheets to find what is the story here? And I think that's when I realized that's my zone of genius is looking at something that seems to be not relevant or not connected and finding the interconnectedness for a public audience, a general audience. And then it was about, okay, well, how do I actually pitch this when I don't have any introductions? And so I had to Google literally the operator at the New York Times. And I had to just call like with my hands sweaty, being like, um, um, you know, I, I want to pitch my client. Like, are you covering this? And, and a lot of times they would be like, no, no. Like, but then as I got better at the cold pitching and as my, you know, rejections got more and more, I started to pick up on patterns on what worked and what didn't, what made them stay on the phone with me or what emails would get responded to. Because remember, I was pitching not only like on the phone, but also in emails. And it just felt like pulling teeth. It was just really, really arduous for me. But then I looked at the patterns and I was like, hmm, there is a commonality here of when somebody would respond to my pitch. And so I created a framework around that called my CPR pitching framework, which I teach now to founders everywhere. And it's a value-driven conversation. It gets the other person on the other side of the send button to say yes, because everything you want is on the other side of the send button. And so you can structure this pitch for DMs. You can do it for workshops. If you want to speak on a panel or a podcast or get into a gift guide, and it's worked for you know, thousands of entrepreneurs throughout hundreds of different industries. So my question now, my audience, they're generally quilterpreneurs, crafterpreneurs, more at the beginning of their career. Some are a little bit further on, but can you speak to, and you kind of touched on it, but let's dive into it a bit more. What is the value of reaching out and being in a magazine, on a podcast, that kind of a thing? So I always think about it this way. If you, what do we need as business owners? We need to get in front of more customers. And so there's really three ways traditionally to do that. You can pay for ads, which honestly with the algorithm and with the privacy policy, you're not even like targeting the right people. You can spend 10 grand without even getting a sale. Um, the second one is you can hire an agency to do it for you. They'll charge anywhere from five to 10 grand a month for six months. No guarantees, no transparency on who they're contacting. The moment you stop paying them, they take their relationships with you. Right. And the third one is you can spend, you know, years, you know, slowly building SEO, which obviously we should all be doing, but that's not going to be giving you that immediate effect. So what is the one thing that trumps all of that is organic PR. And when I say organic PR, I don't mean the scammy DMs that we get all the time on getting in some random 40 under 40. I mean, getting into like, you know, a quilters magazine or getting into like a podcast where people love quilting and handmade things. So you're getting direct to your audience and you're not paying the magazine. And so that gives you credibility, that gives you searchability, it gives you backlinks. Even if you get onto one podcast, I always say, I'd rather get onto one podcast than make 20 pieces of social media content. Because if I can get onto one podcast, that's SEO, that's searchability, that's credibility. And I can take that podcast and I can repurpose it to 20 different pieces of social media. That's blogs, posts, carousels, audiograms, YouTube shorts, YouTube long. So I'd rather do that all day 
It's just about how you frame what you're doing in one hour, one hour of your time. And I always encourage my students to think about, are you getting a higher ROI for every hour that you're spending. And I get it. It's easy to be on social media. It's a quick hit of dopamine, dopamine instant satisfaction. But look at what happened with TikTok and Universal Music Group. They just took all their music. So um, I just feel like it's really not wise to put all of our eggs in one basket. I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people getting hacked, banned, or restricted from their account for no reason. I know you know someone as well. So it is a ticking time bomb. And I think in order to really get us views in order to get in front of more customers and be the authority, be the industry niche. Like, like how can you separate yourself from other people, right? If you want to be an authority, that is getting into um, a magazine or a podcast or some type of earned PR. Absolutely. And I mean, just to speak on podcasts, I'd love to hear your insight with magazines as well. But I know with a podcast, first of all, the average listener, they're listening for a long period of time. They're they're in it for the long haul. It's not like a five-second look at something. Uh, they are generally going to spend more money. I mean, just all the statistics with podcasts, not to mention the longer your podcast is out there, the more listens you get. Whereas if you're on TikTok or Instagram, the longer it's out there, the quicker it's forgotten. Like it's it lives very fresh and then you need more new content but a podcast works the opposite way. The longer it's out there, the more listens you get, the more eyes you get on your, is that the same with a magazine or a blog, I guess would be the same because of SEO, but what, what are the benefits of other kinds of exposure? So in terms of magazine, online magazine, it's searchable and it gives you backlinks. So that's one of the most powerful ways to build SEO. I would argue even more than a blog, because if you get into a magazine that has a very high domain authority and rank, then that's way faster is going to catapult you to the top of the search results than you writing 50 blogs. Um, I also think about gift guides and product roundups. So if you have something that is a product that's giftable, that's shareable, or you have something to say, then wouldn't it be great to actually get into one? Because who are the people who are reading product guides and gift guides? People who are interested in buying something. So it's so much better than posting on social media where it might be shown to people who have no interest in buying or taking action. So I, I do think that for all those reasons, uh, earn PR and knowing how to do PR is probably the highest leverage thing that you can do as a CEO. And it's my mission to make it accessible and easy because I think for so long, the industry has told us you can't do it on your own, or you need to pay someone, or there's all these gatekeeping things, or only we have access. And my whole thing is to dismantle that so that we can give access to visibility for everyone, every single person. I would love to hear, and this is totally putting you on the spot, but if you were to give an example of a phone call, like I'm just picturing... I'm so envious of that experience you had of having to call these big firms and like figure it out. But if you were to give an example of a phone call, let's say I'm New York Times and I answer, hello, New York Times. Can you give me just the first five second intro of what you learned how to do to capture their interests as opposed to like, bye, nope, not interested, you know? Yeah. So here's the thing I learned is that the more I led with my client's story or who they were or what they were doing the less interested they were. And Mm. so it's very counterintuitive. And so once we get into the actual, like um, uh, the CPR method that I will reveal is that I learned that if you want to be relevant to like a New York Times, which has 30, 50 million million readers, you have to start your pitch with a relevancy that is 
going to be relevant to 30 to 50 million readers. And oftentimes it's not going to be listing your name, your company and what you're doing. So you always want to start off with the piece of relevance. So if it's around gift guides, if it's around holiday time, I pitched a story about the labor shortage and how people are not willing to work these hours. And so there was a shortage in all these malls and that they were giving incentives. And so that labor story got one of our fintech companies in on CNBC because I led with the relevance of what's happening with the labor market. So you always want to lead with what is a relevant piece of news because again, it's not about selling your product. The journalist is not going to buy your product. So you have to do the the pitching in a way that's leading with the news, the story, the insight, the solution, and not about your products and features and benefits. So it's almost like you would share a hook, like a title of uh, an article that would capture their attention. Like I have this and they're like, oh, okay. Mm, One of the things that could apply for your, because we do have a lot of product makers and handmade, it's about what are the trends. And so I love Q1 for this because what are the materials? What are the colors? What are the styles? And so if you pitch on that, that's great. I love doing trends and predictions because here's the thing. No one has a crystal ball. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you just go and say that you have a prediction that this will be huge. And guess what? You immediately position yourself as an expert. So I love predictions. I also love things that are seasonal. So maybe some materials for summer will be different for winter. Also, what are the trends in gifting? There's this huge thing about nostalgia lately. And so there's maybe there's some themes around there. And so you want to think about if it's a gift guide, for example, who is it for? For him, her, mother, daughter, if it, you know, so what you don't want to do is just pitch your whole entire product brochure. You want to be very specific with the item and match it with the season or the reason that you are pitching. So smart. So I'm curious, uh, you also, I noticed I follow you on Instagram and you shared this reel with Mariah Carey and Miley Cyrus. And you were like, I have no interest in people who, uh, what, what was the something about like who say they value diversity and all of their besties are able-bodied straight white women. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Which was a wake up call for me. Cause I'm like, I am all about, I want more diversity. And I'm like, but who, when I go on a girl's trip, who am I with? You know, it was a very much like, Mm. Oh, how can I expand that circle? But I would love for you to speak on your, why are you so passionate about diversity and opening the doors for more inclusivity? So, you know, growing up as a daughter of an immigrant, um, I looked in the news and media for what success looked like. And I ne- it was all straight white men that, that was on the cover of magazines, Success Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine. And so from a very young age, it was very clear to me that my, my identity was not associated with what success looked like. And so I wanted to rewrite that story. And the only way we can depict that is by what? By pitching ourselves and getting our stories reflected in the media. There's no other way. So to me, this is a sacred mission. And the more that I started to build this business, the more I did the research. And there are more Black women starting small businesses than any other demographic, but we don't see that reflected. Mm -mm. And slowly I became aware of this fact. And I also became aware of how incredible these women are from all different walks of life, creating things, creating impact, giving back to their communities. And so now I have a community of you know, mainly women of color, mainly first generation immigrants. We have people who are disabled, uh, people who have um, neurodivergencies, people who are military spouses, people whose English is not their first language. And I'm just so proud of the community that we have cultivated. And whenever anyone asks me, well, I really want more diversity, but I'm just not attracting that. I always say, well, 
Look at your messaging. Look at the people that that you surround yourself with. Go. Are you are you going into rooms where normally you wouldn't go to? Are you, um, you know, having people on your podcast that normally wouldn't be the the the, the most obvious option? And so slowly you can start to create a feeling of belonging for people that maybe didn't see themselves in your community. And it might not be a conscious thing that you're doing, but if you can just do, do those little tweaks, like one of the things I realize is one of our members um, is hearing impaired. And so I, I only recently realized from her telling me that now we have captions on, like for all of our coaching and we transcribe everything. So for people who are different learners, I also realized that we have some people who are um, who are neurodivergent and they don't want to be given hot seats or coaching calls where I call them by name. Like it makes them very nervous and uncomfortable. So I have a different way of being like, hey, um, you know, you don't have to unmute your camera, but you can feel free to like send me something in the chat if you would like to ask a question. So it's just knowing that everyone's a little different and being open to open to exploring that and making them feel like they belong and feel seen. I really love that. I, a few years ago, so my husband's a financial advisor and he worked for a firm. Uh, we went to like a, a sales event, you know, they bring everyone like rah, rah, you've done a good job. And I looked around, I was like, everyone here is a white male, everyone. And he had a friend who was a black male and he tried to make it in the industry and he didn't. And we had them over for dinner. And I was like, why, why do you think? And he was like, whether or not we, we want to buy into this. Like when you think of a financial advisor of someone who you trust with your money, you picture a white male. I was like, Oh my gosh, even his friends who aren't white males, they were like, well, that's who I go to. And so to think like <clears throat> I'm in a quilting industry where it's predominantly white female. And so to open up and allow to be seen and make room at the table for people. And I'm still trying to grapple with how, how can I do that? What does that look like? Um, yeah. So I love just opening up and asking questions. Like, what is this like for you? How could I, for example, adding captions to your teachings, you know, just asking people what would be helpful for you. So yeah, I'm really passionate about that. And again, even your reel was a wake up call for me. Like, oh, yeah, I need to really, how can I be more inclusive in my day to day life, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny. It's like, you're, you're not going to do it by just doing what you're doing, right? Because if you want to create the same results. And so it's really about getting proximate to communities that are different from you. Um, learning and injecting yourself in places that maybe you don't feel like you normally would go to, like, like I said. Um, I, I love the book, Just Mercy by Dr. Michael, I think it's Michael Stevenson, who's the founder of Equal Justice Initiative. And he helps people who are wrongfully incarcerated. And when I attended a talk of his uh, at an NYU law school graduation, and he said that the only way that we can build bridges is if we get proximate to different lived experiences. Because otherwise, we're always going to be in our bubbles. We're never going to venture outside of our neighborhood. We're never going to visit our local mosque and sit with the imam. We're never going to go and sit with a Jewish person. So how can we get proximate to things that are unfamiliar to us? Because that's really the only way we can create understanding. And it's the lack of understanding that creates all of the systems of oppression that we're seeing in the world. So That is so true. Because generally, like draws to like. You know, we tend to to want to surround ourselves with people who look and think like us and to open up that uncomfortable at first, you know, to be around someone who is not looking and thinking like you, it actually ends up being so much more beautiful and opens up so much more conversation, compassion, empathy, 
kindness, understanding. So yeah, I really love that. So what advice do you have for solopreneurs? And that just means someone who is, you know, they're on their own, starting their business as a solo entrepreneur. Oh, I have so many, but if you're talking about PR, I can give you some free tools that you can use right now to help get your brain to think in terms of headlines and subject lines and not features and benefits. So one thing is to install a Google News Alert. You just type in the search box, box Google News Alert. It's free. And every day, Google will send you all of the articles and things online published in your industry. So you'll be able to see where the trends are. You'll be able to see what, what they're covering. So then you can use that language back to the journalist. That's the first one. The second tip is to um, look at help a reporter out. H-A-R-O. So every day they ping you with all the emails uh, of inquiries of journalists wanting to interview different people. You can also follow hashtags on Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn, like a hashtag journal request. That means that the journalist is looking for someone to interview. Now, keep in mind, it's not always going to be your, you know, exactly your character or your uh, industry, but you might get lucky and you might find, find someone, you know, that they might be interviewing someone who fits the type of, of the business that you're running. So those are kind of very grassroots way. And obviously watch my PR masterclass where I go step by step on exactly how to pitch. I actually reveal the word for word pitch that got someone featured using the CPR method. And you can do that at GloriaChowPR.com slash masterclass. And we can talk a little bit about the CPR method, but it's really just starting to train your brain to think about things in a different way. And to really go get over the mindset of, well, I don't have anything to say, or I don't have anything groundbreaking to say. I think a lot of times people get uh, tripped up because they think, well, if it's news, it has to be something groundbreaking. And it's like, no, media is media. And there's, I, I had someone in my program who was a Pilates teacher, and she was in an article titled, What is Pilates in 2023? Hmm. So there are people from different learners, different abilities, and people are always looking for content. So we're actually doing the journalists a favor by providing them content. You just have to step into that frequency and believe in that. So I really think in terms of PR, it's really two things. It's really how do you pitch and who to send it to, which is kind of the tactical, actionable thing. But there's also the mindset part that so many of us, we don't even get there. We don't even allow us to even pursue getting PR because for so long that the industry has told us it was not available to us or we had to be at a certain level of business to be able to get into the cool kids club. So hopefully what we said has shattered some of that, but it's really about, do you really, do you want your impact and your story to be seen? Do you want to be in business for the long run? If so, then I really encourage you to start to roll up your sleeves and do the work to find that message and have the confidence to press that send button because everything we want is on the other side of the send button. So that's really interesting because I'm thinking of, I talked a couple of weeks ago about telling stories in your business and the power of stories. And one of the stories is a founder's story. And so for us as a business owner, it's old news, right? Like I've told this story a hundred times, but to someone who's listening, it's their first time hearing it. And it's the same with like, I love quilting. To me, it seems so easy. Like there's not a story there, but for someone who doesn't quilt, <clears throat> they're, sorry. <clears throat> for someone who doesn't quilt, they're like, wait, what? Tell, what, how do you quilt? Like that Pilates, you know, what is Pilates? People, we assume that people know what we know and that they've been down the path that we've been down, but that's not always the case. I am curious to, to kind of pick your brain. How does a person draw out what, 
what can they share? Because we're so close to our own thing, we can't see it, you know? How do you help with that? Is that what CPR is? How does a person draw out their story? So, you know, we, we talked about those tools. So having a Google News Alert and understanding what the subject line is and taking off that marketing hat and putting on the hat of how can I provide an insight, a trend, a solution? Um, I do have, you know, in my program, we go through all the different angles. So for example, like the beginning of the year, the time that we're recording this, I really love predictions about what's going to happen. And also when I think of Q1, I think of winter, I think of coziness, you know, I think of comfort and self-care and feeling of protection and safety. I also think about transitioning into spring, out with the old and in with the new. I think about decluttering, I think of minimalism. So there's so many different design trends and also emotional trends and consumer trends that we can tie to everything. And obviously there's your gift guide angle. So it could be something about like a, you know, a quilt that's commemorating like a relative, or it could be for a different, it could be Valentine's Day, it could be graduation, whatever that is. And then there's also the sustainable eco-conscious part of it, right? What, what new materials, non-toxic things. So there's so many different ways we can pitch. We just have to figure out what is it in your product that can relate to one of these things. Hmm. Okay. Very cool. Even I cannot tell you, I'm writing down notes as we're speaking and I love these ideas. I can tell you've been doing this for a while. So can you tell me what CPR stands for? Cause I'm thinking, you know, lifeguards saving lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't save your business. So the CPR <laughs> is uh, my method for cold pitching that has helped me and my founders gain over 1 billion organic views and over hundreds of magazines across the world at online TV. So CPR stands for credibility, point of view, and relevance. These three ingredients in a pitch makes it golden, makes it so that it's not salesy, and it makes the other person on the other side of the send button say yes. So C stands for credibility, and it's just one sentence about, you know, you, you own your worth. So you are worthy just being who you are. So it could be, I am a quilter and, you know, I, I've seen this firsthand or I'm a quilter and I really believe in this mission. That's it. You don't have fancy letters after your name. It's just a confidence to pitch. P in CPR stands for point of view, because the whole thing is about establishing you as an expert and experts have point of view. And so in the pitch, it usually looks like three bullet points or a numbered list. It could be three tips. It could be three things. It could be three trends. It could be three things you're avoiding. Um, it could be three styles. So it's, it's almost like you are leading with the, the topic that could be in an article. And then R in CPR stands for relevance. I usually like to start my email with the relevance because what is news if it's not relevant? And you are, you are fighting for the journalist's attention every single second. So you want to straight out of the gate, boom, why is it relevant? So that's usually what season we're in. That's usually maybe piggybacking on a bigger news story. It could be a TikTok trend. So think about what is that relevance? That's probably the most important part of your pitch. So if I were to put this together for quilting, right, the relevance could be like Q1 is all about, you know, uh, nostalgia and feeling of comfort and safety. You know, I'm also seeing a trend in, you know, sustainable fabrics. Here are the biggest things that I'm seeing in quilting this year. One, two, three. So those are your point of view. And then you just conclude with one sentence of like, I've been a quilter for two years and we've done X, Y, and Z, you know, for these people, people love my quilts for this reason. I'm happy to chat about what is trending this year and why people are turning to quilting to solve X, Y, Z problem. You can reach me on, and then you can put your phone number. So this is just kind of, I'm spitballing. There's obviously more fleshed out templates in my, in my course, but that's usually how the pitch sounds. And it's very simple, but it's, it's very different than how we're used to communicating. I think a lot of times when we pitch something, we really try to stuff our entire life story in there and it becomes very long and it's just keep rambling. 
And it's really not about you. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what are consumers wanting? What are families feeling? What are people want emotionally that you want to lead with the relevance? Hmm. I am very impressed. Yeah, you do a good job of this. And I am curious, when you talk about being an expert, I can hear a lot of my audience. I, I don't know what it is about females predominantly, but it's like, oh, I'm not an expert. I don't dare say that. And they shy away from owning that they are an expert at something. Do you, do you speak to that? Do you coach on that? Like what it, can you help with that? Yeah, it's funny all? because it's, you know, my PR program you would think is really about PR, but it's 90% mindset mm-hmm. because as women, especially women of color, we always have been told there's a higher bar for us to, to reach in order to feel like we can be seen. So definitely is a huge part of it. But that's why I always highlight every single call, all of the people who have been able to get featured. Like we just had someone got featured on L and she pours these facial products like she makes like handmade facial products, um, like skincare oils. And she was featured in L magazine as one of the top skincare oils of this year, not pay to play. It wasn't an award thing that she had to pay for. And she was named alongside Dermalogica and Tata Harper, million dollar brands. So it's absolutely possible. It's just about you positioning that pitch using the CPR method in a way that's relevant. So for her, you know, it, it probably was a gift guide or a clean beauty angle for sustainability because she uses all natural ingredients. So it absolutely is possible, but it definitely, I will say you can have the best pitch, but if you don't press send on it, and if you don't keep pressing that send, you're not going to get that response. So how can we in our daily lives do something that's a little bit more uncomfortable, but it's going to strengthen that muscle of resilience, which is something that we need to ride the waves of entrepreneurship, as you know. Absolutely. And I'm also super curious, do you have in your course or or as a freebie or anywhere that list of seasonal trends as you're speaking? I'm like, oh, that is good. Yeah. So I actually have a top 10 story angles to pitch. And in my program, we have a calendar of over 50 different um, seasons and reasons and holidays. But you can get I will I will send you that freebie. Actually, if you DM me the word uh, pitch, I will give you that freebie and we can link it in the show notes too. I'd be happy to gift that to your audience, the 10 angles that anyone can pitch all year round. Awesome. And what is your Instagram account so people can go and find you there? So I'm at Gloria Chow PR, Gloria C-H-O-U-P-R. Awesome. And they DM the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. Can you speak to the difference between what is PR and what is marketing? Yeah, I think that that's such a good question. And and I love how we've been talking for like 40 minutes and <laughs> just getting down to it. But it's in this day and work, this this weird influencer world, it's it really gets kind of like blurry, right? So I really see marketing as you paying to talk about how great you are, but PR is someone else vetting for you. It's that third-party validation that you can't pay for, which is arguably even better than any kind of marketing that you can do. I, I think there is a room and time for both of them. But I do think that marketing, A, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have that credibility. It doesn't have that searchability, whereas PR has both things. So PR ch- checks off all the buckets for SEO, for searchability, for credibility, and getting in front of an audience. Mm, I really like that. Yeah, you've got my wheels turning. I like this a lot. Okay. Can you speak to how a person could get their product in a gift guide or a product roundup? Yeah, so this is one of the most powerful ways to grow our business because who are the people reading product and gift guides? People who want to buy. So there's no better way to spend your energy. In my point of view, it's better than any ad or social media. So you might be asking, well, how do I get into these coveted gift guides? Do I need to know someone or do I need to like know Oprah to get in her favorite things? And the answer is no, you do not. 
what you do need to know is know how to write a pitch, which we talked about using the CPR method, but also know that what is the category for the gift guide? So there's a lot of gift guides that are under $50. There's luxury gift guides. There's gifts for her, gifts for him. Who is your gift for? So the first thing you need to figure out is what is the item out of all the things that you have that's perfect for this season? And what you don't want to do is just bunch like 50 different items. You want to pick the one or two standout items. Is it a bestseller? Is there a bundle offer? Is there a special collab? Pick that first, tie it to the seasonal relevance of who the gift guide is for. For example, if it's a gift for mom, then pick that item that's good for that. And I would actually put in the subject line, you know, best seasonal gifts for mom that'll make her, you know, feel X, Y, Z, right? Whatever that is. It could be mother-daughter gift. And then in the pitch, I would put in in your three bullet points for, for point of view, why you think your product is perfect for, for, the, for, for a mom. And then you also want to put in the price point of how much it costs so that the journalist knows if it's a premium thing, if it's a, if it's a stocking stuffer, you know, what, what is a price point? And you want to put the link to where they can buy it. Can they buy it on Amazon or Target or only available on your store? And you also want to know, tell the journalist in terms of shipping. Is it shipping for us only? Is it shipping for all 50 States? Is it so that way they can understand the logistics if they were to put it in the gift guide, how long it takes, how they can get it and what is the price point? Okay. I'm super curious. I'm thinking as you're talking like, Oh, I could try to get in whatever magazine I have this free pattern, like a quilt pattern. That would be a great thing. Have you ever seen that where it's like, get this free thing. And then they get on my email list. Would that even work? Or is that like pretty un? That's a, that's a marketing, that's a lead magnet. Mm -hmm. So that, that probably wouldn't work for a product. Yeah. A gift guide. Hmm. Okay. You can tell I'm new at this. Like, how would that look? How would this work? So, okay. I'm very curious to hear a little bit more of your story. How did you get started? Like, nope, I've already asked that. Let me rewind. How long have you been in business and how has this journey been for you? What are the highs and what are the lows? Ooh, it has been a journey. As we all know, I actually just posted a reel today of like, when people ask me how I'm doing and it's like all the different flashes of like working 24 seven, like team finances, like all the things that we juggle. Right. But I will say that I've never been happier and I've never felt more aligned in my entire life because of the people I get to serve. Um, being able to instill a sense of confidence in these women and make them feel like their business is something greater than what they thought by getting that validation is just tremendous for me. Um, but for me, the hardest part in all of this, it's really not about selling. It's not about our program or program works. It's about building a team and leadership. This is something that no one really talks about. And I think especially as women of color, people who have, you know, I have a lot of generational money trauma from my mother escaping literally communism. I was always taught to have a, an energy of constriction around how I spent my money. And that is really the opposite energy in order to foster a team and to give your business what it needs to grow. So it has been such a humbling lesson to see in the ways that I have fallen short as a manager, the ways that I needed to be really leading with mission and values and not micromanaging. I've had people leave on my team and it's just, it's just made me realize all the different narratives that kept me from achieving my highest potential. And so I've invested so much in the coaching and leadership. And now I realize it's not, it's not really just about being a manager because no one wants to be managed. It's really about how can I 
bring the best out of other people? How can I truly trust? And in order to trust, you need to have that energy of being able to let go a little bit. And so it's about how do I build trust so that I can give my team their autonomy and how can I give flowingly, you know, into the world. So that has been just the most powerful journey for me going inward. I was actually going to ask, do you have a team? So how, how big is your team? How do you hire? How, how are you finding people? Like this is the... It's a million um, dollar question. Yes. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're always hiring. So uh, right now we have... So it's, it's funny that you asked me that. I'm experiencing a really big shift in my business. Not only are we rebranding, but we also have three people short. So my basically half of my team has turned over um, for for mutually agreeable reasons. And it's a lot to deal with, but it's also like, okay, this is a sign from the universe that I'm about to unlock my next level. But it's really messy and it feels really hard when you're going through it. But it's all, I always say, you know, you got to let go to let in. And so you can't have the same team or systems or structures that got you to one point to get you to the next point. It's always about rebuilding. And so right now it's kind of this purging phase where I'm ready to rebuild. Um, but we have a couple contractors at the, you know, my height of my business or the biggest team I had was eight people, eight contractor, eight contractors. Now we have five. Um, I honestly like a leaner team because obviously it's to lead in each individual person, that's that could be a full-time job in and of itself. And so I'm always thinking about how can I work smarter and harder and not about attracting, and it's just attracting the right people who really believe in the mission and the vision of the company, which I never thought myself as really needing to do because I'm like, well, I'm just a small business. Like even if you hire one person, it's like, well, who cares? But I realize even if it's an intern, unless they're bought into the mission and vision, it doesn't really, people aren't motivated by money ultimately. I mean, to a certain degree, yes, but in order to lead truly and to really be able to give ownership to someone and have them be accountable and have that intrinsic motivation, it really has to come from a deeper place. So I'm learning to lead from that deeper place. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of reorientating my systems. It takes a lot of slowing down, which I'm not used to. I'm having patience and having you know individualized conversations with everyone, but definitely is also making me a better person in the process. How are the uncomfortable conversations? Like when something isn't going well, are you more of a, let's just talk about it? Or are you like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Let's just avoid that. Well, I'm a human. So I've definitely had had interactions I'm not proud of. I've definitely been less patient um, than I could have been in, in some instances, but I'm learning from that. And so now I think through my mistakes, I'm learning to um, really just set the tone for what the expectation is and give as much detail as possible before I assign a task instead of just hiring someone and being like, okay, you figure it out. Because I think that if you, if it's our job as leaders to delegate properly, to set them up for success, to understand what the success look like. And once you have it super clear what success looks like, if something falls short of that, it becomes a more objective conversation and not so much emotion filled. Um, so it's about having the KPIs. It's about keeping track of, of data and, and having these systems in place. So it's not just about how I'm feeling about your performance. It's about here's where we are, here are the goals that we set and, and we're not on track. So, and, and instead of saying, well, you're not doing your job, which is what we, we want to say. It's about framing it in a question so that it's collaborative. Maybe something like, you know, what could I do to support you on this? So it's really about how we can support them, even though they might not be doing a good job, but you have to communicate in a way that opens them up and not make them feel immediately defensive because that just ruins every productivity. So it's really about 
learning how to communicate, set up systems and all the things that we're not used to, we're not taught. Like I'm not used to having conversations like this. I'm not used to giving instructions with so much detail, right? A lot of times we're like, oh, it's just so much easier for me to do it ourselves. But if we're, but we're never going to grow, we're never going to make an impact if it's just a team of one. So I had to learn to slow down, to properly delegate, to properly have checklists and systems so that people really knew what was expected. Um, but I'm not an organized person. I am not a systems person. I am really not an A-type at all. You should see my suitcase when I'm packing. I just kind of throw everything in there. So this is a weakness of mine, but I'm, I'm learning. So we do have systems and KPIs and things in place now. But for a long time, I didn't. Definitely is a journey for all of us. Oh my gosh, this is, I just feel like I'm listening to myself. So are, do you have a coach or someone helping you learn how to hire and run a team? Oh, I have so many coaches that, that I follow and that, that I, <laughs> I, I invest in. Mm-hmm. Is it, I have coaches for money. I have coaches for mindset, for leadership. I even work with a somatic therapist for hypnotherapy to mm. calm my nervous system. Um, so I have, I have all the coaches. I, I will say that it all connects. So how I feel in my body is directly related to how focused and productive I can be. So it's really important for me to take care of myself, which also as women, we're not used to. We're always constantly giving out of an empty, empty cup. And so one of the things that I tried to do after I literally suffered burnout. So a little backstory, I had a, a 13 inch tumor, a fibroid in my uterus that grew rapidly. And I think it's because I was hustling so hard building my business. It just came out of nowhere and I had to have open uh, abdominal surgery for it. And for someone who has never broken a bone in my life, like that was absolutely terrifying for me. And so when I saw that huge tumor that grew in my uterus, thank, thank God it was benign. I started to realize like, oh my God, that is stuck energy. I started to read about the, 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 the chakras and I realized that, that your womb chakra has a lot to do with money and power and your relationship with your mom. And it's so telling because I have a very difficult relationship with my mom and that was literally a blockage of so many things related to money, to my mother. And I started to do a lot of reading about how everything is psychosomatic and how you know the body keeps the score. And from that moment, that was probably three years ago, I have been on a journey of healing myself, healing my relationship with money, healing my stuck narratives around worthiness, and um, it has transformed my life. And now my mom and I are on better terms than ever. I went from not seeing her for four years to taking her on a four-week trip throughout Asia. We went to Vietnam. I paid for everything. We were dancing and singing in the streets. I would have never thought that that was possible, but it was through a lot of the healing work that I've done. A lot of it is honestly plant medicine. Plant medicine has really helped me too. So it's, it's all those things. Beautiful. So where is your mom from? Is she from Vietnam? No. So she's from China. She's oh. from Beijing. And yeah, so I'm Chinese American, but she's always wanted to go to Vietnam, but she has an autoimmune condition during COVID. It, it's not COVID related, but she which wasn't able to travel and her health wasn't very good. And now that we've repaired our relationship, I tell you, like I've never seen her more radiant and happy. And so I now I realize like when we heal ourselves, when we work on ourselves, we heal the entire world because my mom didn't change, but I changed the way that I saw her, the way that I had compassion for her and the patience that I never had for her. It allowed her to blossom. It allowed her to feel truly supported for the first time in her life instead of being at odds with me. And she is like so vibrant now. She's like playing tennis for three hours. She's like singing in choirs and she's just hmm. so happy. I've never seen her so happy. I really love that. That really speaks to me. I, so I've spoken before, I have struggled with ADHD, like just being so not cohesive and flighty and recently doing some mind work and healing. All of a sudden I am realizing how to be organized, like even down to my sock drawer and so organized that I'm like, 
is something wrong with me? Am I becoming OCD? And I'm like, no, this is what it looks like to be an organized individual. This is great, you know? And I can see just how much the body, the mind, everything is interconnected. I've just recently heard about chakras and I'm like, I'm very intrigued by this. So I just feel like it's so, and you talk about the mind work, so much of our business and life is down to our mindset and taking care of our body and our mind. I mean, we have to have tools like learning how to reach out to someone and be effective in our communication. But if we're not whole and at peace, you know, inside, then will self-combust or, you know, like, oh, I can't hit send or, you know, so just making that all kind of whole together. I really, that really speaks to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So if my listeners want to find you, where's the best place for them to find you? So I'm on Instagram at Glorichel PR and you can watch my PR masterclass to see exactly how I put the pitch together and how you can do it for yourself at GloriaChowPR.com slash masterclass. You can watch on demand. That's Gloria, C-H-O-U-P-R.com slash masterclass. And if you DM me the word pitch, I will give them that pitching freebie that we talked about. And hopefully you can link it up in your show notes so they can figure out all the different angles that's possible to them so that they can get featured. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Gloria, for being a guest on the podcast. That was such an insightful conversation. And I definitely left feeling motivated and inspired with new ideas for reaching out, being featured in different areas and really owning and embracing like, okay, I'm an expert. There are some seasonal things that I can be offering and pitching. So be sure to check out the show notes for this podcast. It's on my website, www.quilterscandy.com forward slash 145. And you can get the link right to her freebie of those seasonal offerings and ideas for how to pitch things. And then also be sure to follow Gloria on Instagram. If you have not yet, be sure to leave a review for the podcast. It's really easy. Just tap on your phone or a swipe of the finger bonus if you want to type a few comments in apple podcasts on your thoughts and feelings about the podcast this really helps other entrepreneurs to find the podcast and it helps to bring amazing guests for you thank you so much for being here on the craft to career podcast i will see you next friday with a brand new episode take care 